Do I got water? Can I get a water, somebody? Can I get one? Is this yours or take, taking the friendship to a new level? Francine's getting water. Does anybody need anything? Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. That'll work. Well, it's good to see everybody. Um, you know what? Before we go on, I have to just take a second here. I just have to take a, a little minute and uh, brag on you a little bit. Can I brag on you a little bit? I know you guys are you're humble. You don't, you don't like people bragging on you. But uh, I have to. How many of you know this has been kind of a crazy week, like in our nation? crazy couple of weeks, right? There's a lot of things happening. We had a big Supreme Court uh, decision this week uh, handed down uh, having to do with gay marriage. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had a horrific shooting in uh, Charleston, South Carolina. One of our, our brothers and sisters churches down there just uh, endured just something unimaginable, someone uh, murdering nine of their wonderful people. And it's opened up all kinds of conversations, opened up all kinds of talk about race, right? Um, race in America. Um, and some, a lot of that conversation is good. It needs to take place. But it's a, a lot of heated emotions on both sides, right? Start talking about flags. Start talking about what it's like to live in the deep south, you know, you guys know we sort of, we're sort of in the deep, we're sort of in the south. I don't, this isn't like, this isn't like Georgia deep south. Texas is different. We're like a, we're on the border. We're kind of, we got deep south over there, and then we got like the southwest over here. Um, so sometimes it feels a little deep south. And we live in, you know, one of the largest cities in America. So sometimes it feels like, no, you know, this is a, this is a great, we li- you know, every, this is an intelligent place to live. People are really smart here, you know, progressive thinking and that sort of thing. And then you turn a corner and there's people, you know, eating possum on a stick on the side of the road. So <laughs> we live in a unique area. Um, it's, still the, it's still the country. Um, and so that brings a lot of challenges to everybody, I know. But I, I've got a point. <laughs> Here's the thing, and I'm just speaking to you from my heart this morning. Don't get, don't get mad at me. Uh, I have to brag on you because this is a week where a lot of emotions and opinions are flying. You know what I mean? Everybody in this room's got an opinion about something. We've all got an opinion, right? We could just got to have a parade of opinions this morning, and we'd hear a lot of different opinions, right? Because we're a church. We're not some monolithic organism. We're a church, and a church is made of people, right? So we got a lot of people in here, and that's the way we like it. You know, some, some people are like, well, the, ch- the church, we're the, you know, Generations Church, we should speak with one voice. Really? Is, is that reasonable? Is that possible? Unless we stand at the front door before you come in and ask you, what voice are you going to speak with? Do you sign on this dotted line and agree to... I, we don't do that. We want everybody here because we want to tell everybody about Jesus, right? That's what we have in common. So we got a lot of things that are not in common. We have Jesus in common. And, you know, uh, social media is a funny thing. You get on social media and it can... It, it's, I don't know a good word to describe it in mixed company, but it's, it, it can be terrible. It can, people, it's like it brings out sometimes, I think it brings out people's worst selves. It can bring out my worst self. Social, I don't know if it's just hiding behind the computer screen and typing stuff in there. And I'm, I'm there. I, you know, I, I know what it's like to, oh, I want to hit enter so bad, right? Because I want to let the world know 
what I think, right? I want, I, want to, I want to flame the world with my proclamation. I was just so impressed this week. For the most part, generations people, you guys reacted in love. I saw a lot of your posts and things like you reacted in love, restraint, and that's important. That's hard to do sometimes, right? That is hard to do sometimes because, because you want to get out there and you want to let everybody know this and you want to let everybody know that. And it's easy to lose sight of why we're here on this earth, that whose banner we're flying. It's easy to lose sight of who we represent in this world. We represent Jesus, right? We are the hands and feet, mouth and fingertips of Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is on Facebook with you, <laughs> right? That's, Jesus is tweeting when you tweet that thing. So, Keep that in mind. I, you guys were awesome, though. I, I really was. I, I, I was just, I was, I was impressed. I was like, man, these are good people. I got, I got some good friends at Generations Church. Um, and you know what? People will always want to know, where do we stand? Where do you stand on this? Where do you stand on Where's Generations Church stand on this? I could, I'll, I'll put it to you this way. Generations Church, we're not going to fly a rainbow flag. We're not going to fly a Confederate flag. We're going to fly one flag. That's the banner of love. We're going to walk the banner of love. All right? I'm, and I'm so encouraged to hear you're with me. Hallelujah. That's, that's the flag we're going to fly. It doesn't matter the issue. It doesn't matter the political issue, what's going on, what the, what the conversation is. Our banner is the banner of love. Because that's what matters. Right? That's what matters. Anyway, I just had to brag on you a little bit. Thank you, guys. Um, hallelujah. But it is, it's a, you know, it's a crazy time, I know. But I, and I encourage you, um, in your posture, in your speech, uh, to be loving to all men, right? People need Jesus. That's what they need. People need Jesus. And so far, last time I checked, every single one of us need Jesus. Every single one of us got a lot of problems, Right? We all need Jesus. He's the answer to everything. Hallelujah. And we don't want to do anything that shuts the door on, on telling somebody about Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. I'm doing a lot of talking. Wow. I'm just going to move on. Hallelujah. Um, it's good to see you. Last week, we uh, uh, kicked off a brand new series, our summer series called The Deadlies. Taking a fresh look at the seven deadly sins. Can anybody... Uh, Remember what, what PAGLs stand for. So, somebody throw some out there. Pride, anger, gluttony, greed, lust, envy, and sloth. That's the sign for sloth. Three-toed sloth. That's what that means. Uh, anyway. Yeah, so we're, we're dealing, we're, we're, we're looking at the seven deadly sins. Last, year, last week, we kind of had our introduction to the whole thing. Now, when we're dealing with sin, here's the thing. It's important that we recognize that sin is a spiritual issue. It's not a psychological issue. Now, that's important because uh, it's, there's a problem with calling our sin a psych problem, and that is, well, then it calls for a psychological cure, 
If sin is a psychological problem, it calls for a psychological cure. But when we acknowledge who our real enemy is, and we call sin a sin in our own life, it, that acknowledges the fact that a spiritual issue requires a spiritual cure. Right? We on that same page? And that cure is Jesus Christ in our lives. That's the cure. Not more counseling, not uh, self-help books, not chemicals, not more meds. That's not going to help our sin problem. N- nothing, not, not even more willpower will help your sin problem. The cure is Jesus. We need more Jesus, okay? So the seven deadly sins, these are spiritual problems. But as, as you might have heard us say in here at Generations before, you are an integrated being, right? You're not actually a divided being. You're an integrated being. So what affects your spirit affects your body, affects your mind, affects your emotions, because you're an integrated being, right? There's all, God made you this way for all this stuff to kind of be working together. Everything affects each other. And so your sin problem is not just something that stays hidden or remains, you know, in some ethereal, non-real segment of your life. We can't just say, well, my sin's over here. It doesn't really affect my real life. It very much affects your physical being, your everyday life. And of course, sin is never satisfied. Sin is never satisfied just staying inside, tucked away in some little hidden spiritual corner of your being. It wants to move from inside you to affect everybody around you. Sin is always moving from the garden to the globe, right? Sin is always moving out. That's the direction it wants to go. Um, This morning, we are going to kick things off of, of our big seven, we're going we're gonna, to, by looking at one of the biggest of the biggies, and that is pride. Pride. We're going to start off looking at pride. Um, and, you know, a lot of people have tried to figure out how to deal with this monster called pride. Uh, we live in the, in the 21st century. The wonders of modern medicine are incredible. Uh, and I found this. This, this was kind of interesting. Watch your screens. Um, here, here's a little commercial for something that might help you. Let's see what happens. Two illnesses that have reached epidemic proportion today are pridefulitis and opinionatia. And many have lost hope. Symptoms include hearing loss, anger, the urge to debate, and delusions of not needing directions. I see pridefulitis every day in my practice. It destroys friendships, marriages, and careers. Sufferers can find it impossible for any advice or helpful input. But now there's hope. Introducing Humilify. After just a few days on Humilify, I was actually able to hear my spouse again. Humilify saved my marriage. I suffered from full-blown, nag-resistant pridefulitis. Humilify completely cured my hearing and my vision. Humilify gave me hope. Humilify has also been shown to be effective against other diseases, like I'm the victimitis, get off my caseus, and I know bestia. Exercise caution. Side effects include sincere apologies, attentive listening, and the realization that other people are intelligent. Make the decision that will change your life. Try Humilify today. Humilify. Isn't it time you swallowed your pride? All right. Oh, man. If only, if only if it were that easy, right? A pill. Oh, man. 
So pride, pride is considered the, uh, you know, by sort of the church fathers and experts, the se- one of the most serious of all the deadly sins. It's considered the source of all the other sins. Uh, if uh, St. Augustine said that pride is the foundation of all sin. If you ever you look at the medieval paintings, you know, they were really into the seven deadly sins. The, you know, there's usually some tree of sin with all the different sins on there, and pride is right there. It's, it's that, that, you know, the big root of the whole thing is pride. In Proverbs 16, it says, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be lowly in spirit along with the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. So pride is the precursor to somebody falling hard. Okay, Romans says this, the writer says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. God is very clear in the Bible who, whom he aligns himself with, and it's never the proud. God is always on the side of the oppressed. He's always hearing the cry of the oppressed, and it's never, it's never the proud. You don't want to be on that side. Uh, in, in Genesis 11, that's where we're going to camp out today. If you have your Bibles, you could turn there, Genesis chapter 11. I want to look today at a, at a story of what happens when sin picks up a head of steam, and it moves from the individual to the society. This story is, is a picture of a community-wide wave of pride and arrogance and how that invoked a response from God to intervene. And he intervenes in the course of humanity. Genesis chapter 11, we'll start right in the beginning. Verse 1. It says, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. By the way, this, this word world here is haras. It's a, it's a Hebrew word. It can mean the whole planet. It can mean a whole country. It can mean a region. Uh, it, the same word, it's the word used in Genesis 1-1, God created the heaven and the earth. It's also used in Deuteronomy to talk about the, the world, the harass of Canaan. So it can mean a region, a world. Uh, I don't know which it means here. It doesn't really matter. And so, verse 2. Just thought you'd want to know that. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. Now, Shinar, this is going to be around modern-day Iraq, uh, where the future Babylonian empire would be. And in verse 3, they said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. That phrase right there is going to be really key for us. Keep that in mind. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Verse 5. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they've begun to do this, nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. This is such a fascinating glimpse into God's reaction to these people. He, he's looking at the, the capacity of human effort here and, and what he says there. In verse 7, he says, Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. 
That is why, verse 9, it is called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Okay, so obviously this is the story of the Tower of Babel. Everybody's, a lot of, a lot of you have probably heard of this. So what's the big deal here? Why is God so upset about this? What exactly does God have against cities and towers? Right? I mean, full disclosure, I'm pretty into cities. I'm a city boy. I couldn't milk a cow to save my life, right? I, I'm, I like cities. I'm partial to cities. I like, you know, it's just, they, they got a lot going on. Here's a fact. God is not against building projects. Interesting, right? He's not normally against building projects. He has given mankind this amazing ability to create and to use technology, okay? What God is concerned with is what fuels our imagination, what fuels our attention, what takes hold of our heart. That's what God is really concerned with. He's, he's intensely interested in what's going on inside your heart, much more so than what's going on around you. He's more interested in what's going on inside you. How are you growing here? So what's the issue here with God? Well, let's give a little background to this story, and I think it'll become a little clearer. Uh, the story of Babel occurs about 100 years after the events of Noah and the flood. Everybody remember Noah? Big, big boat, a lot of water, flood. 100 years later, we get, to, we get to Babel. In Genesis 9, it says, this is after the flood, God blessed Noah and his sons. And what did he say to them? Be fruitful, increase in number, and fill the earth fill the earth. So in the story of Noah, God has hit this humongous reset button on the earth, and he blesses Noah and his family, and he says, go out and fill the earth. Engage creation. Get out there. It's actually the same blessing that he gives in Genesis 1. He gives to Adam at the dawn of humanity. He says God God blessed him and said, be fruitful and fill the earth and subdue it. Fill the earth. So twice now we see this charge from God is for humanity to go out and engage creation. Fill the earth. Scatter. Engage creation. There's this idea, see, that that we represent God in the earth. We're his hands and feet. We represent him. And as image bearers of God, we're, we're receptacles of his love and his grace. We carry that wherever we walk, right? We carry that to other people. Love and grace and relationship. God says, I want you to go out now and flood my creation and represent me in every nook and cranny, in every nook of creation. And you know what? That's still God's agenda for us. It still is to be a blessing, to go out, be a blessing, reflect God's glory wherever we go. That's what we're to do. Now, this right here is, is a pretty significant time. Uh, this is significant because we, we get to the story of Babel, and here's the issue Mankind, at first, he responds to God's charge after Noah, you know, go out into all the world. So he's like, okay. And they they move east, it says. But then they come to this place called the Plain of Shinar. And oh, man. I mean, come on. How many of us have been to the Plain of Shinar, right? It's a great plain. You just want to stay there forever, apparently. Uh, What's not to love about Shinar? Uh, they They get there and they're like, let's settle here. This is fantastic. 
But they don't just decide to like stop and, you know, camp overnight. They say, let's build a city. And then, you know what would be great in the middle of the city? A tower. So here has some, here, here's basically something mankind has never grown out of, building towers, right? We love building towers, even today. You know, back in the 1800s, we, the, 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 the Empire State Building, you know, it became the tallest tower in the world. And we've been building towers, and they, mankind has been trying to outdo each other ever since. I was looking at a picture of all the, the, t- the towers, the tallest towers that have, ever, that have been just in the last several years, starting with Empire State Building. And right now, the Burj Khalifa is, is the tallest tower up in Dubai. It's like a half mile tall. Can you believe that? I have a picture of it. There it is. A half-mile-tall building. It just it seems unreal. But right now, this is the tallest. And they're already uh, planning under construction towers that will be even taller than this. So what are they wanting to do in Babel? What's, what's going on in, in, in Babel here? It says, they say the top, we want to build this tower so the top will reach into heaven. And we can make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, if we don't do that, What's their worry? We're going to be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Now, isn't that interesting? Their worry is that they'll be scattered over the face of the earth. What was God's mission? To go out, to be active, to pursue and migrate and bring God's blessing to every corner of the earth. That's what he wants to happen, right? And the response of these builders is, you know what, that's our worst nightmare. For us to get scattered right? That's exactly what we don't want to happen. So, so let's dig in our heels. We're going to dig in our heels and let's build a place that we won't be moved. We'll build a reputation for ourselves as well right here. Not as a city of like blessing and refuge or something like that, but more like a fortress. The, the way it describes the building, it's a, it's a fortress so that we don't have to scatter, so that we, we don't have to be on the move, so that we don't have to be at the mercy of tomorrow. We can own tomorrow. That's basically what they're wanting to do. Okay? And God's agenda gets replaced by man's agenda, which is pride in action. And that's what we're here to talk about today, pride, right? So that's pride in action. Now, what happens next is really interesting. There's this really neat thing that we see in the story in verse 5. It switches to God's perspective. The, the POV changes top down here. We, we get to see what's going on up in heaven. And it says that God came down to see the tower they were building, which is sort of a, sort of a comical image, you know, a little inference there. The writer saying they wanted to build a, a tower up to the heavens, but God had to come down to see it. Uh, you know, their goal of building a tower to reach. So now, of course, it's impossible to build a tower to reach heaven, but they don't know that. And notice, I, I like God's reaction here. He doesn't strike them dead. He doesn't see what's going on and, you know, like break all their bones or something so they can't lift anything. He doesn't blind them. He sees the one asset that's actually working against them spiritually is this common language. That's the one thing working against him. See, it's not like unity is a bad thing. Unity is really a good thing, right? But it's what is unifying them that is the problem. What is unifying these people? For the builders of Babel, their ambition... It's wrapped up in their fears. And we're going to talk about that a little bit, right? Oh, no, we're going to be scattered. I know God told us we're supposed to be scattered, but we have a better plan. We need to be secure. We need to make a name for ourselves. They're motivated by this need for security and comfort instead of fulfilling God's mission in the earth. 
and it drives them. This idea of, of baking bricks instead of using stone. Stone, uh, they say in this area, this region of Shinar there, uh, stone was not available in this region. So the invention of bricks was a really great thing for people. It increased their ability to build anything. Bricks mean efficiency. Bricks mean, uh, you know, security, less vulnerability to your surroundings, you know, having a house over your head. Um, it gives them some strength and some significance. It says they're using tar for mortar. All of these are little clues. They're, they're improvising. They're getting creative. What we're seeing in kind of this little story as a microcosm is of the dawn of the Bronze Age, basically, in one story. And again, what a, what a wonderful reflection of mankind's capacity to create. Hey, there's mud on the ground. Let's make bricks, right? That's using your brain. But what's happening is that God is getting replaced in the equation, And we see this, this is the language, when they say, let's build a tower that reaches into the heavens. See, that's religious language. That's religious language. Scholars think that what they were probably designing or building was something like these ancient Babylonian structures called ziggurats, which is just fun to say, ziggurats. Uh, They looked a little like pyramids, like step pyramids, but uh, really interesting things, which which almost always they say were religious monuments. So these, these had... There was a religious side to this. And they say, make a name. Let's make a name for ourselves. In other words, it's about having a reputation, but again, it's to help protect them. What, what happens when you make a name for yourself? You're, you're sending out protection. You're, you're protecting yourself by your reputation, right? So people will go around you instead of through you. That's what you wanted back then. But see, as image bearers of God, we carry in us this capacity to build and create. That's a beautiful thing. That's God honoring this creative capacity that we all have. So the issue here isn't that they're, they're using their God-given capacity for creativity and, and blessing. It's, it's that they use it as an agenda to hijack God's plan for their own purposes, to establish a name for themselves. They're not saying we're going to build something to be a blessing for the world, for God's glory. They're not saying that at all. Actually, this is going to be for our glory our security. It's our agenda. Our agenda. And so God sees these events unfolding down there. He looks down, sees this stuff happening, and he decides to intervene in this case. He says, I have to do something. And so he confuses their language, and as a result, they scatter in frustration, construction. The construction of the city comes to a halt. And, and through the confusion of languages, what I love about this is that God actually accomplishes his original agenda. That's what he's after. He accomplishes his original agenda of encouraging people to go out and fill the earth. He confuses their languages, not just to like mess with them, you know, because he's a sadist or something, because he's mean. He's doing it to accomplish his purpose. The very thing that they didn't want to happen, what they were fearful of, scattering abroad, God was able to guide them toward that. See, God's ultimate desire for us is, is, ne- is never to harm people. God doesn't want to harm people. He wants to bless them. He wanted his creatures, his human beings, to spread throughout the earth and be a blessing. But the thing that stands in the way of God blessing his people is often us right? We're the, we're the thing that often we, we just need to get out of the way, right? I, I see that with myself so much. 
our pride, our agenda. And it usually starts with one phrase, I know better. Right? It starts with that. But, but God, I know better. God has this plan. God wants to be our source. He wants, us to, he wants us to live by faith, right? And to take risks and pray dangerous prayers. He wants that, right? He loves dangerous prayers. But we have a better idea. Our agenda is security. Our agenda is safer. Living by faith is great, but come on, it's exhausting, right? It's exhausting. And it's not very financially prudent. Okay? It'd be so much smarter to just hoard up every cent we can in case there's a rainy day. That makes a lot more sense. Hoard, hoard, right? And anything can become our tower. Anything. Our careers can become our tower. Titles. I need, I need, a, I need a better title. You know, or who, who do I manage? How many people am I over? You know, we can ask ourselves, these, these come in towers in our life. What's my salary bracket? I need to get to that next salary bracket, right? Our possessions can become a tower. Our home, I, gotta have a, I need a bigger home. Cars, I need bigger cars, more cars, faster cars, newer cars. F- phone, which, which model phone do I have? I gotta, right? Clothes. Our relationships can become towers. How many Facebook friends do I have? So-and-so has more friends. I need more Facebook friends, right? I need more Twitter followers. Who's reading my blog, right? How many readers do I have? Who liked my Instagram photo? These all can be towers in our life. And soon we're, we're building this tower that makes us feel secure and significant. And that's really what it's about. We build these towers to make us feel secure and significant. Now notice, none of these things are bad, in and of themselves, are they? It's not bad to have a career. not bad to have a house or a home or, or, or a car or whatever. It's not bad to have relationships and friends. The towers we build are really not themselves the problem, right? It wasn't that, oh, how dare they build a building? That really wasn't the problem. Even at, even at Babel, God, he later, just a few chapters later, he tells the Israelites to build a city with a tower. So he's not against that. City, cities and towers aren't the problem. There's something else going on here. And, and when, what you notice is the foundation of all of these towers that we build in our life, the foundation is fear. Fear. Fear of not being in control. Right? And this is really interesting because often the, the unseen partners in crime are pride and fear. Pride and fear. So often they go well, hand in hand. I never even noticed this before. This is just through studying and asking God to show me something, right? Pride and fear, right? How often do those things walk hand in hand in our life? Pride blinds us. Pride puffs us up. But when we have pride, what happens is we fear the loss of our possessions. We, feel the, we fear the loss of something. We fear loss mostly of control, control of other people, of circumstances. We fear the loss of control. We fear loss of reputation. Pride makes us value our reputation more than anything, what people think about me. And as soon as pride 
has, has built something up in our lives, our first inclination is to fear losing it. When we start building towers in our life, it's really because we're afraid. You wouldn't think that a prideful person would be afraid of anything, but in their core, they're afraid of everything. That is what pride is. And sometimes we don't even realize fear is involved. It could just be a fear of loneliness, isolation. It could be this, a fear that drives us to go, you know what, I, I, need, I need a relationship. I need this relationship to work out, right? If you're a single person, you're like, I, I need to be married. I'm not going to be happy until I'm married. I can't wait on God's timing anymore. I've got a better way. I know better. And fear drives that. I can't wait on God's agenda. It could be the fear of not being validated in some way or or approved by people. And as a result, I'm going to be an overachiever, right? I'm I'm just going to burn it at both ends, man. I'm going to make a name for myself. I'm going to make a reputation. I'm not going to settle for what God has destined for me. I'm not going to settle for his timing because I know better. I know better. It could be the fear of, what if my needs aren't met? Right? I'm trusting in God, but what if my needs don't get met? What if we're not taken care of? Well, I got to go out and, you know, make as much lettuce as I can, right? Because I know better. I don't know if I could trust God. I don't want to be caught short. Do you know what? That's kind of on the personal level, but this same Uh, spirit of fear and pride, it can influence us as a church. Did you know that? It can. Yeah, God told us to go out and into all the world and preach the good news to every creature. It's a scary world out there, though. Have you been out there? It's weird. People are weird. Hey, like, yeah, it's crazy out there. In fact, let's not go out into the highways and the byways and invite everybody to God's party and seek souls in the community that we can bless. Let's stay put. Let's build up some really pretty walls and make a name for ourselves. Yeah, that seems noble, right? Seems like a good thing to do. Is it any wonder that churches are so scared of the Holy Spirit? Because what does the Holy Spirit do when he gets a hold of you? Makes you speak in other tongues and he makes you run out the door, right? (laughs) It's like the Tower of Babel, right? He makes us scatter. The Holy Spirit shakes things up. Often, when God is is calling us to humble ourselves and trust in him, we do the opposite. He tells us to humble ourselves, trust in him. We do the opposite. We put our trust in ourselves. We take pride in our own potential. and, And God tells us to get out there, and we hunker down. Scatter, and we hunker down. Why? It it reminds me of what Christ was always trying to tell people when he was walking around Jerusalem. He never could get people to quite understand, right? When he would talk about the kingdom of heaven, you know how they were always thinking he was talking about some kind of a literal nation he was about to start, right? Uh, they, They never quite caught that. They missed the point that the kingdom of God is never meant to be about building a nation or building a monument. It's always a movement, it's always a movement, right? It's what God called the people to in Genesis. He said, go and scatter. I haven't called you to build a nation right now. I've called you to scatter, right? And the kingdom of God is a movement. 
There's a huge difference between building a nation and building a movement. A movement, well, moves, right? It's mobile. It moves. A nation stays still. A movement spreads like fire from person to person to person. It's like an idea. You cannot stop it, right? A nation throws up its borders and tries to keep the outsiders out and the insiders in. The strength and health of a movement is the fact that it is unconstrained. It's unlimited. It is without borders. But, but a nation's strength lies precisely in its clear limits, its immovability, right? See, pride has a hard time fitting in a movement. There's not enough ego. There's not enough room for ego in a movement. Movements don't have heroes and presidents and capitals and treasuries. A nation, a nation is like a tree, right? It's strong, it's impressive, you see it there, boom, there it is, a tree. A movement is like a tree turned into paper, right? It's little pieces of paper, they're, they're not that intimidating, but it's the power that comes from what's written on those pieces of paper that make it a hundred times more powerful than a tree. A church, the church, is a movement. It's what Jesus called us to. It's a movement. It's what God called mankind to be. It's what he calls the church to be. The church is not a little kingdom with walls and borders. It's never meant to be. It's a movement. This is why the disciples and the Jews, and they always misunderstood Jesus when he was telling them about this. He'd say, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And they were wondering, how do we exchange their passport for a Republic of Jesus passport? <laughs> right? They, they're just wanting the same old thing. They're, what they're after wasn't anything better than what they already had. It was just more borders, more walls. And Jesus is calling them, and he calls us to something fundamentally different. It's a way of life that harkens back to those first words of God to mankind, go into all the world. It's what God's been saying all through the Bible. All through the Bible. Go into all the world. Go into all the world. Genesis 1, God says, go throughout the earth. Fill it. Be a blessing. We get to Acts. What does Jesus say? Go into all the world. Take them the good news. It's the same language. Exactly the same language. We're the glorious church. We're the body of Christ. We are called to go out. To put aside our agendas our security, our great name, and instead magnify his name, that his name would be great. That's our goal as a church, as Generations Church. We're not here to make a great name for Generations Church. We're here to make a great name for Jesus Christ, right? God calls us to this attitude of movement, not of monuments. Movement. The child of God knows it all belongs to him anyway, right? Every one of these seats, every one of these speakers and guitars, well, that's Derek's, but all the, all the rest of it, <laughs> all the rest of it belongs to Jesus, right? <laughs> it's, all, it's all his. We're just temporary caretakers of all of this, right? You realize that? You know, in 90 years, none of us are going to be here. Somebody else is going to be doing this, 
right? We're just taking care of this stuff. The child of God knows it's not about how much stuff you've accumulated, but it's the relationships that you've created, the relationships, the steps that your feet have taken in your life, walking and talking and telling the good news. Where have you taken the good news to other people? As a church, it's not about how unshakable our walls are, but how free is the Spirit of God here to move and to change us? Is He free? Is, there, is movement allowed at generations? Is He free to change us and flow and to take us to a new thing? Are we really here to be changed by God, to change the world? Right? I mean, that sounds like a great slogan, but really? Are you here to be changed by God to change the world? That, that insinuates that you're ready to not be the same anymore, right? But see, fear puts the brakes on the Holy Spirit. That's what fear does. Because the Holy Spirit's all about movement, right? The, the ancient Celtics called the Holy Spirit the wild goose. I love that description of him, right? Just this crazy squawking bird, right? Just going nuts. The wild goose. The Holy Spirit is all about movement. And pride abhors change, Because change means loss of control. Pride abhors change. It's loss of control. It's loss of control. What is the Bible? This is kind of off the subject. What does the Bible say is the root of all evil? Right. Someone said it, right? The love of money, right? It's It's not money. The love of money. Why do folks love money? Because it's soft, smells good. No. It's not pretty. The love of money is a tower. It provides us security and significance. We can look at this pile of money and go, yes, okay, all right, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. And remember, we got to check on our tower. Okay, it's still there. Whoo. Security and significance. It's an alternative to trusting in God for security and significance right? Money's not bad. The love of money is bad, right? The tower's not bad, but looking to that tower for your security and significance is, is, is wrong. The love of money, it, it's kind of the ultimate fruit of pride when you think about it, because having money is, there's nothing wrong with it, but loving it, hoarding it, building a monument instead of a movement, mm-mm. Your money is just like your heart. It needs to flow, It's just like a relationship. It's only a blessing if it's flowing. If if you're allowing it to be used by God, you're only a blessing to the world if you're allowing God to use you, not if you're just sitting in your closet, right? You've got to be moving. Our, Our money, just like everything else, it needs to be blessing others, moving, flowing. The church, this church right here, it's only a blessing when it's turned inside out. And it's taking the name of Jesus to every corner of our community. That's when it's a blessing. When we're turned inside out. Fast forward to the end of the Bible. The book of Revelation. The uh, Apostle John, he gets this amazing vision of where this whole story is going. In chapter 7, John says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes, and they're holding palm branches in their hands. 
what we see here is this plan starting to take, take shape. We see where it's all headed, right? We, we're at, we might have thought that the scattering of the people of Babel was a punishment, but it wasn't. It wasn't a punishment. Rather, we see it's God's purpose put back on track because this is the vision. This is God's vision right here. In Revelation 21, if you skip down, we see a, a glimpse of the city that God builds. He's not anti-city. In chapter 21, verse 23, he says, The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. See, this is not a city built on the foundation of fear. This isn't a city whose walls are meant to protect it. Right? It's the city of God. It's a city that is meant to be a blessing to the whole earth. It's a city with nothing to fear, right? That is the God we serve. So the scattering was not a punishment. It was essential for God's rescue plan. We see this in in God's word to Abraham over in Genesis 12. He tells Abraham, I'll make your name great because you'll bless all nations. He tells David, I am going to establish a throne that never ends. We see Jesus, who Paul tells us is the name above all names, and at his name every name shall bow. Jesus tells his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. There's this theme that runs all through the scriptures like a thread. Right after Jesus says this, you jump a few weeks later to Pentecost, And we see the miracle of Babel in reverse. At Babel, mankind is united in one language against God's plan. At Pentecost, God brings it full circle. He unifies his people through supernatural tongues, and everyone can hear God's message in their own language. Isn't that beautiful? Hundreds of people groups, all in that, in one weekend, hundreds of languages, Cultures that were previously alienated from each other, suddenly they're bound together in unity at Pentecost. Not necessarily by one common tongue, but instead they are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the gift of the Holy Spirit bridges the divide between people. It transcends ethnicities and cultures and politics. It it, it transcends that stuff. And we see that God's wonderful creative will is that people maintain their God-given diversity. He wants you to be you, right? We don't want two of you. We want one of you. We want someone else to be themselves, right? He wants our diversity, our creativity, working together as a family. The church, united by God's plan and through his plan. But the call to scatter, that call to scatter, instead of hunkering down, it still rings out. The call to scatter rings out. See, we can all make great plans. And you've probably got some good plans. I got some good plans. Plans that seem really good to us. And you can do this in your life, in your home. We can do this as a church. We can come up with some great ideas. But those plans can actually work against God's plan. It's possible. Because there there are people out there. There's people out in our community who will not step foot in a church. You realize that? They won't walk through 
that intimidating drawbridge that it looks like, those front doors look like to them. But you know what? They'll talk to you. They'll talk to you at the mailbox, at the water cooler, right? In the car over dinner. They'll talk to you. They'll pour their heart out to you, and they won't even realize you're the church. They're like, I'm not going to church. They don't even realize they're at church. They're talking to you. You are the church, right? They're, they're sitting there with the body of Christ, right there at the workplace. You are the church. You're the church on the move, right? When we leave these doors today, this building today, we walk out these doors, you, you're, you're still church. You're still the church on the move. The church turned inside out. That's what we are. The church that it, we're not, we're not taking a stand to defend our borders or, you know, no, no, no. The Bible says that we're the lambs of God. We're sent out among wolves to reveal Jesus' love. That's the, what it calls us, right? We're not here to defend the doors against the world. We're here to go out into the world and offer ourselves as living sacrifices. That's what God has called us to do. Uh, I, know, I know this may not have been the, the sermon on the deadly sin of, of pride you were expecting, but I think it's the, it's the message that God wanted us to hear today. C.S. Lewis said this, For pride is spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. And if you want to hear some more about pride, we talked about pride uh, last year in our um, Hearing Voices series. The voice We talked uh, a sermon called The Voice of Pride. You can go on the website and listen to that. It was good. Kind of came out from a different angle. But... Listen, we can't love other people with pride in our heart. We can't love them like God has called us to love people with pride in our heart. And like we said last week, there's only one cure for the sin of pride, and that's Jesus Christ. He's the only cure for the sin of pride. To be free from pride and fear and selfishness and all of that requires, it's very simple, it requires, number one, confession. It requires saying, yep, that is me. That is me. I'm not just opinionated. <laughs> I am prideful. And I need a savior. And number two, repentance. And repentance, as we said last week, it's not just saying, I'm sorry. It's turning. Turning. Turning towards what? Turning towards Jesus, towards the walk of love. Right? And, and number three, remaining free of pride requires one more thing. It requires letting God's love flow through you. Did you know you cannot get less prideful? Am I saying that right? Yeah, you can't get less prideful by trying to be more humble. You ever tried that? I'm going to be really humble today. Exhibit A. Mission accomplished. Right? It doesn't work. You just failed. Right? You can't be less prideful by being more humble. You can be less prideful by being more loving. Trying to be more humble, humble just works against you. But you crucify pride in your life by loving others. Serve them. Serve other people. Put it into action. Not just thinking good thoughts about people. 
It's serving them. Pray for them. Forgive them. Right? Generations, uh, God has, has incredible plans for us. He's got a great plan for you. He's got a great plan for this church. And the ways that he is going to use us, I think, will blow our minds if we could see it all. Right? It would blow our minds. I have a feeling that our own ideas, because I like, I got these great ideas, and Mel and I, we talk all the time. We dream, oh man, God's doing this. I bet he's going to do this. I bet, it, blah, blah, blah. You know what? I have a feeling that our own ideas would seem sad and impoverished in comparison to his plans. I believe that. I'm sure the plans that they had drawn up for Babel probably looked really nice, looked really great, but it wasn't the city of God. It wasn't a city whose foundations were built on trust in God. The sin of the Babelites was not in building something. It was not in making something beautiful and creative. That was not their sin. Their sin was in settling. Get that? They weren't guilty of dreaming too much. They were guilty of dreaming too little. They settled, right? But that's what pride does. Pride exalts the lesser thing over the greater thing. And it makes you settle. And we settle when our pride rears up and makes us fearful of losing control. We settle. Don't settle. Scatter. Let's not be afraid. Amen? Anybody with me? Let's not be afraid. As we see his, his hand move among us and, and grow our ranks, like I know God's going to do, let's not panic. Let's not try to, oh, oh something, something good's happening. Let's stop right here. Let's not try to throw down stakes and mark out our territory and protect our borders. No, 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 no. Let's just commit right now to riding this wave, all right? Until that season ends, and he takes us to the next new place. Amen? Amen. Thank you, guys. I'm going to pray for you. As I'm praying, I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come forward. Hallelujah. Father God, we love you so much. We thank you, Lord, for the goodness that you show us every single day. God, your mercy, your mercy is never-ending. We thank you, Father. You're so patient with us, Father could strike us all dead sometimes, I'm sure, but you just love us and you're patient and you just keep teaching us. You keep growing us, Lord. We thank you, Father, for the next right step that you're showing us how to take. I thank you, Lord God, every person in this room in their lives, the things that they're believing you for, the things that are going on in their jobs and their relationships, all those things. Help us to have the courage to trust in you, Lord God. To, to crucify our pride and trust in you, not settle for something lesser, Father God. We don't want anything less than what you have for us, Father. We thank you, Lord, that you are a good God. You are here to, you, you want to bless us, Lord God, and you want to use us to do wonderful things for your kingdom. I thank you for it. I praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, church, it's been good. Hope you guys have a wonderful week, the best week you've ever had. If you need any prayer at all, anything at all, that you need somebody to stand with you and pray with you about, and it's very private, they'll be right here. They're going to pray with you. They're incredible. They're, these people are full of faith. It's not the same when you pray. You come pray, things change in the spirit world. Hallelujah. So come on up. Let them pray for you. And other than that, have a wonderful week. We'll see you guys later. Bye-bye.